0: transformation and neurodiversity this is episode 116 of church and maine Welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast where we are at the intersection of faith and modern life, and I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. For those of you who don't know, I'm the pastor of a Christian Church Disciples of Christ congregation in Roseville, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Uh, I was trained as a journalist before going into the ministry, so when I come to look at religion, especially mainline Protestantism, uh, I look at it with a critical eye, and that's what this podcast is aiming to do. Well, I first met our guest today really out of the blue. It was on Facebook about four or five years ago. I was looking really for some help, some coaching for um, the congregation where I currently serve, and really he kind of Offered to help, and and help he surely did. Um, Alex Ruth has been a congregational leader for many years. Um, in twenty twenty one, he was called to become the associate regional minister for transformation in the Illinois Wisconsin region of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and that was after many years of serving a parish ministry, especially in Missouri. Um, his role at, uh, and we will go into this a little bit more, uh, during the podcast, but, um, his role is basically defined as uh leadership development, um, healthy, uh, helping to create healthy congregations and community engagement. Um, and also he is the person that is helping to, um, Help congregations find new ministers, especially in uh, South Central Illinois. Um, so we talk a little bit about his role in in the in the region, what that means, especially really as as you can tell if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, kind of the ongoing nature about the changing church, especially after um, COVID, and we actually surprisingly get into a conversation about uh, neurodiversity in the church. Uh, Neurodiversity is a topic that is near and dear to my heart since I am on the autism spectrum and I've been diagnosed with ADHD. So uh, it was a surprise. We did not plan that. But um, I was quite happy to be able to talk about that important topic and how the church best responds to those um, um, that are neurodiverse. Um, Other things that you should know is that uh, besides being the Associate Regional Minister for Transformation, he is also uh, the Associate Director for Disciples Men, um, and he teaches with the Center for Ministry and Lay Training at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, with that, let's uh, listen to the discussion with Alex Roof. Alex, it's good to uh, hear you um, talk to you again. It's been a while.:
1: It has. It's good to talk with you as well, Dennis.
0: So I think the first thing off is to tell me a little bit about what your position um, as um, kind of associate regional minister for transformation is all about um, uh, in your region and how you relate to the churches.
1: Thanks. Um, well, uh, here in Christian church in Illinois and Wisconsin, um, we've been, uh, able to have some, uh, really, uh, I think interesting, uh, opportunities. And one of those is to have, um, a couple of associate regional ministers and to then also have some, um, specific foci for those. And, and mine is, as you've said, um, transformation. And I've been really, uh, I've been in this position now for just over a year and really, um, excited about some of the opportunities that we have before us. Um, and also maybe more so now than ever keenly aware of some of the challenges, um, that I think, uh, await us in the years to come. So as I think we've talked about, Um, Before, one of the things that is very obvious to me, uh, I think very obvious to those of us in in church leadership uh, from the congregational through the denominational levels and probably beyond, is that we are in a state where uh, transformation is going to have to be happening. Uh, transformation, growth, development is the way of the church um, in the future. If we're, if we're to continue to survive as a community of faith, we're going to have to adapt and change transform to meet the challenges um, that we are experiencing um, in the world today and to continue to share good news uh, of a relationship with, with God through Jesus the Christ. Um, so, uh, I I imagine you've seen as many of us have, um, there's been a decrease in church attendance post COVID. Mm -hmm. If we are in post COVID, that's not really an accurate term or late stage COVID maybe, uh, is a better way to say that. Uh, but there was a, a, a dramatic change in the way we, we, function as churches, uh, in 2020 and in the years that have followed. Um, so how we address that, how we address our current sociopolitical climate, um, these are all things uh, I think that are, uh, facing us for, uh, transformation, uh, in, in our churches, uh, today.
0: How do you think some of the churches, especially um well, in your region have dealt with COVID? Um it seems like at least I I've experienced, I think I, a lot of other pastors that I know have experienced COVID as a kind of a major disruptor. Um, there were some things that were good about that, but there were some things that well, I won't say weren't so good, but they were they were different. Um and how are churches in your neck of the woods faring with in handling that change?
1: It it depends. Uh, a lot of it depends on <laughs> how the strength of the church before um, how leadership has been able to both clergy and lay leadership um, has been able to process and adapt and, and change. One of um, one of the things that I think kind of tells a, um, or at least, um, is an indicator. Let's do it that way. Uh, is an indicator of the health of the congregation moving forward is how have we adapted to the reality that we need to be, um, doing some sort of digital church experience. Um, you know, how, how are we adapting to, um, having uh, both and services? So, uh, in-person, yes, important, um, and churches that are continuing to thrive and do well, or we're doing in-person and we're doing in-person well. It's, it's changed probably since, uh, 2019, Um, but we're, we're back to an in-person service of some import at the same time, um, our congregations, I think that are, are surviving the best and, and moving towards thriving are those who understand that we have in essence with an online congregation, you have two congregations, um, and how do you minister best to both? Mm-hmm. so opportunities for folks who are worshiping online who are uh, engaging the church through bible study online and those kinds of things uh, i find those communities are best served when we do have some interaction uh some uh, interplay between between uh you know uh, clergy so that you're not just spectating that you're actively engaged, and you're being heard and listened to. Um, So um, I I think that that's an important part of it, um, and I've seen that in churches. Um, There are a few churches. um, They tend to be more rural churches um, who are not putting as much emphasis on that and the emphasis is is really kind of almost um, exclusively a a church that looks like much like it did in 2019. And they're having some success to that. Hmm. Um, uh, Those are are more isolated. Um, And those communities are such, like I said, more rural. Um, That's probably, uh, you know, you've got generational churches, Um, where you're seeing three, four generations of the same families still worshiping together, still living near one another. Um, So as we move to a more urban uh, or even suburban city center kind of uh, church experience, uh, if you're not having some kind of hybrid and and a hybrid that engages um, the online audience as more than just passive Observers of church, uh, I, I think those are some of the some of the things that are um, have been most important uh, to see churches that are thriving uh, in, in those that I serve.
0: When you talk about the kind of having something more than passive observance, what kind of examples could you give?
1: Um, So, and this has usually happened in in somewhat smaller congregations. Uh, That's difficult to do in a hundred or 200 member church. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the smaller congregations, I've seen a couple that have, uh, instead of live streaming, have stuck with a more Zoom feel Mm -hmm. um, or one of the other platforms that works. Zoom is the most common um, amongst the churches um and, and one thing that i think is particularly interesting is church that i know of that has stayed with the zoom feel and uh instead of projecting like words to songs and sermons and prayers and things like that on the uh screens in the sanctuary what they've done is they project the zoom room on the screen in the sanctuary so those in the sanctuary are seeing those who are worshiping virtually on the screen and those on the screen are not just seeing the officiant, but they're also seeing uh, the congregation. Hmm. Uh, so at times of congregational call and response, you're seeing congregation uh, and when it is just the pastor uh, giving a sermon or whatever. So there's a a sense of, even though we are separated by distance, we are still in the same space together. Okay. Um, Same virtual space together. And I think that that is particularly helpful. Um, Another thing that I've seen that is helpful is not around the worship experience as much, but it's an emphasis on, if we're going to have a Bible study, if we're going to have, you know, a group that meets outside that we are intentional about making sure that that's a hybrid space, um, or maybe even going beyond that and making it all virtual, uh, you know, so that everybody gathers, uh, virtually in that space. It's kind of an, um, an equalizing feel it levels, the playing field, mm-hmm. um, for folks that there aren't, Oh, there's these 10 people that are gathered and they're going to have the, the conversation that goes on after the zoom room shuts down after the Bible study is over, um, the meeting after the meeting, so to speak. Um, but this way, if you, if you stay where everybody is in their homes, um, and, and zooming in, um, there's a, a little bit of that level of leveling of the playing field. Um, so there's that, that I think helps us be more than just uh, participants. Uh, in are still active. And um, I, I've started talking and encouraging churches uh, to, to have somebody who's uh, even if you're just doing a, a Facebook live stream, uh, to have somebody who's physically there in the church who's also on that live stream and you know can can respond to any comments that are made uh, prayer requests that are submitted can inform the pastor or the lay leader um, whoever is is up on the chancel at that point um, or in, in the front of the congregation uh, you know if there's a prayer request they can pass that along Um, that again builds that community and reminds everyone that, that we're still connected. Um, We're just not connected physically.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think that churches have been able to kind of pivot in the way that they need to, to do all of this? Because it's, it's a rather quick, you know, everything has happened really quickly that, you know, before before COVID and I think 2019, you know, if you we were thinking about Facebook, you were doing some things and, you know, right. like me, I, I, we did some things online, but you know, it, the, the most that you did was maybe a sermon podcast that you would do it. Right. And I think that that's really flipped, um, quickly <laughs> that, I mean, I'm doing more video than I've done before. And I also, when I'm bi-vocational, so I work actually doing uh, communications at a Lutheran church, um, in the suburbs. And they are also really having to pivot quickly. Um, I mean, how are churches handling that pivot? Are some, are they able to kind of do that really fast? And usually that means puts everything on the pastor to have to do. Yes. That.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Dennis. Um, and, uh, and the answer is probably very disciple. um, in that some are doing it well and some aren't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, you know, or some have faced challenges with that. And and I think in the best cases, um, that hasn't all fallen on the pastor in the best cases, there's been a team of leaders that come together and are working on it together. (laughs) The reality though is, uh, a lot of that depends on the size of the congregation. It depends on the giftedness um, of the congregation, who else has some of those skills and abilities, um, who else has the the time to gain them. Um, so when COVID first hit and we were, uh, you know, churches went from being in-person to entirely virtual at the snap of fingers, um, there was a lot of pressure on pastors mm-hmm. uh, to be able to make that pivot. and it was a challenge and And there were several different models that that I witnessed um, our our colleagues um, using um, in the church that I was serving at that time. Um, I had the technical know-how, and not many others did. Um, so yes, I did take on a lot of that. I'd also been serving that church for an extended period of time. I, I by the time COVID happened, I think I'd been there 13 years. Mm-hmm. So um, that made that transition to a fairly clergy-centric model for a time okay, because we all knew one another. The relationships were there. Um, where I think I've seen the biggest challenge. Among churches and and, and colleagues, is folks who were in transition um, at the time of COVID. Uh, So I know a church um, here in Illinois, Wisconsin, where their pastor arrived, was called, and arrived in the community on the day that the shutdown order happened. Hmm. So their first experience of the church. And the church's first experience of them as their pastor was entirely online. Mm -hmm. And that was difficult. Uh, It was really hard, certainly in those first month or two when we were completely um, separated from one another. It's really hard to build relationships in that form. Um, So clergy that were starting just pre-COVID and then in the first Pretty much if you started in 2020, maybe even late 2019, but if you started serving a church or your church had a pastoral transition in that time, um, very few of those churches and those pastors are still in that relationship with one another. Mm. It was just so hard. Um Yeah,
0: I and, saw that happen with uh, someone I knew who was um, an ELCA pastor, ELCA Lutheran pastor that... Started really right around the time of the shutdown. And huh? she is no longer at that congregation.
1: Right. So that's, that's a, a, it's a story that we, we hear and I hear over and over again. Um, because <laughs> it really, and maybe this is, it, it, it's a little more such, uh, more so in churches um like disciples that are very congregationally based mm-hmm. um because you know i i think it's important that in our kind of dna and in our ethos that we are um congregationally lay led churches you know uh, i i think that is important now again there's some variance on that when you got talk size of churches as you move up in your size of church, yes, a little more emphasis is going to shift towards uh, the clergy. Uh, senior pastor is going to take on a different role, um, I think, fairly naturally uh, in that kind of situation. But um, but most of our churches are small to mid-sized uh, churches, and uh, and we have a lot of lay leadership. You know, elder leadership is important. Elders preside at tables in different ways uh, in some of our churches. And what happened when we had to go um, entirely virtual was figuring out how to do that was really, really difficult. Um, so we went to a model that was very pastor centric. Um, and that's not every pastor's gifting you know, not every pastor is, is comfortable on video, uh, uh, leading zoom, uh, you know, uh, operating all the controls of a zoom while it's still trying to lead and preach and worship. Um, not every pastor can do that. Um, and so that became very difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think was part of it. Um, so you know those those pastors that that thrived found ways to involve um, and maintain that involvement of the laity, um, keep people keep those connections and those relationships um, going uh, in in creative ways. Uh, some some much more creative than than the ways that I came up with, um, and you know, I've. Found myself having a little bit of clergy envy over these past couple of years. I was like, "Wow, I wish I'd have thought of something that unique and exciting." Um, but uh, you know, we do what we can, uh, and, and I want to give a lot of grace uh, to to anybody who might be uh, joining us and, and listening and, and saying, "You know, we all just do the best we can." Um, mm-hmm. So please, there's there's no judgment in any of this. This is just um, an assessment of what I, I think I've seen. Um, and I certainly, I look back at my own response to COVID and say, I wish I'd have done this differently or that differently. Um, but we were pivoting, uh, Mm -hmm. happened, you know, that, that happened quickly to most of us. Um, and, and it was a dramatic shift. Um, and those shifts don't happen super often. Uh, or at least they have not happened super often in our world in in our history. I believe that, um, one of the things that we are finding is that things are happening more rapidly these days. You know, the new cycle is much, much shorter. Um, our access to information is, is, you know, there's no lag there anymore, um, or very little lag. Um, so, you know, our, our world is moving at at a pretty rapid pace these days. And so, being able to pivot and adjust quickly (laughs) is a skill that I think we all have to, to learn and kind of find the ways in which it works best for us.
0: Yeah. I think one of the, one of the interesting things is noticing among the generations um, who (laughs) pivot, Um, (laughs) you know, I, I'm guessing that you're around my age, that would make you generation X and you know, I think that there was a time when we thought we were the vanguard of, of kind of everything. We did. You know, social media <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah, we're <laughs> not anymore. Um So it's fascinating seeing, and, you know, you would say it's a millennial, but I would say even really young millennial and actually generate Gen Z yes. um, pastors. Because um, I think we are starting to see Gen Z pastors who they take to this like fish to water. And, yes. and it's like... yeah. Yeah, that's it's like yeah, I I'm not going to compete with that. Uh you know, it, it's just it's really hard because for me it's not something that is as natural. And I think for them it's just they they understand how to do their the videos on on Instagram and TikTok and and you know, and they're just naturals at that.
1: Yes. And and at the same time, not only is it just the clergy, but we've got to take into account what do our congregations look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's been where I think we, you and I as as Gen Xers, um, still may have a slight advantage um, in that we're still a bridge generation mm-hmm. um, where we can, we understand um, the world of our you know, slightly older boomer friends, um, and, and boomer folks that are still in the churches, um, which is mm, still a large number. I mean, that boomer generation is just so numerically large that it is Mm -hmm. still, still makes a, a significant impact in our world. Um, and at the same time, we can look at our younger, uh, colleagues and younger church members, um, who are, you know, in their thirties and down into their twenties and, um, you know, uh, even down into their upper teens, you know, young adult. Um, and, and we can see them and see how their world is different. So we -hmm. can serve as a bridge to kind of, uh, have those two kinds of communications happening at the same time. Um, but you know, a lot of the churches that I go into, um, I'm still relatively young and, and I'm pushing fifty. It, and if I'm still relatively young when I walk into that that church um or you know maybe the pastor or a couple families are younger than me, um, we got that's something to take into consideration too. how how easy is it for the congregation to access the um, the technology and the shifts that were that are happening in the world? Uh, because they're just not we weren't trained for it. you no, know that wasn't something that, that that we knew growing up. you know I even in college, you weren't talk for me, we weren't talking about you know color screens. If you're talking about color screens for your computer, it was a color. You know, it was a, still a monochrome, whether you played on the green screen or the amber screen was kind of the way of things, even in college for me, uh, in the early, early nineties. Um, you know, I, I was in college about the time that the internet went public, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so email wasn't a thing back then. You know, my, my daughter, uh, in college now, obviously she handles everything online, you know, all her classes are selected online. I still had to go talk to somebody. We had to fill out a piece of paper and that piece of paper had to be trans transported physically over to another building. And then they had to sit down with an, you know, check marks on other yep. pieces of paper. It's all electronic these days. Um, and so, yeah, the speed of things is happening and I think, it, or is, in, has increased, um, and, and one of the reasons, probably, that churches lag is that we are also predominantly older. Uh, mm-hmm. The church has grade over the years. Um, and there's probably 150 different reasons for that. Um, the overarching is that uh, we've lost some connectivity, uh, we've lost some relevance um, through the years. And, and the why that has happened. Uh, Again, that's probably a conversation (laughs) that can can take a couple hours on another day. But um, uh, so not only do we have to think about how we pivot as pastors, but how do our congregations um, still access church Um, for the older congregation, older members of our congregations that is still going to be in person. Um, And so we still have to make sure that we've got ways that we're, uh, um, you know serving their needs, filling their needs, uh, meeting their needs. Um, and at the same time, educating about the expectations that, you know, younger, younger members of the congregation, we might see once a month. Mm -hmm. They might watch every worship service, you know, they might see them all online. Um, which is another thing to, to think about, you know, uh, I think Gen X, You and I, I think we're still the, I think we're the Facebook generation. Yes. Once we start getting down into the millennials, they're less interested and not on, um, Facebook or certainly don't use it as much. So if we're live streaming to Facebook, is that the most effective way to reach them? Mm -hmm. I, maybe not, you know, maybe there are other ways, um, other ways to get that information or to, you know, to, to engage a, a different uh, demographic.
0: Uh, in the church. Yeah, I, this is, you know, I have done some stuff on, um, starting to do some stuff on TikTok, and there are, that's an interesting medium for a lot of different reasons. And exactly. I am mean, you know, one, it's just so different. I I, I still always have a little bit of wariness about privacy concerns, but... I, I try to be careful on that too, but, yeah. but just on the whole trying to do TikTok, it's, it's like me trying to learn German, um, <laughs> yes. which is not impossible. Yes. You can learn a new language, but it's It'd very be different because it's, you have a whole, I think, generation that they're used to things that are much more quick and to the point, very mm-hmm. short, um. So, you know, this is not where I'm going to be doing soliloquies. Um, on. And, and I think that that's something that's difficult, too, because yes. it's it's just such a different language than Facebook, for for example. Yes.
1: Yes. It, and yet the, the thing I've, I've started doing that I started watching. Um, so uh, I have not I've yet to record a video for TikTok. Um, I thought I was going to do one. Um, this October uh, for clergy appreciation, and then I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. I got cold feet, um, so I don't. I don't know when my first video will ever be posted on TikTok. Um, I I don't know that I have fully thought about what I want to say yet, and, and so that that's kind of one of the things that's been holding me back. But I've been watching TikTok for a while, um, and what I'm finding is in addition to The brevity, um, I think I've discovered that there's uh, yet another layer maybe to the conversation uh, about generations. And that layer is uh, talking about issues of accessibility. Um, And um, I've been particularly interested in issues of diversity and, uh, on on TikTok and the issue that comes up most for me is the issue of neurodiversity, Hmm. um, which is something that we have not talked about, uh, in churches. And I think an area that we are, we're way behind the curve maybe, um, because it's a conversation that has not been had. Um, so when we start thinking about, uh, I, I think, I think we've had, uh, um, maybe a centering of a neurotypical, um, framework that I'm not sure actually exists. <laughs> um, or if it does exist, I, I or maybe I should say it this way. There has been, uh, my eyes have been open to the, the breadth and um, beauty of the diversity of our way of thinking about the world, a way of processing information, way of, you know, the ways in which uh, we are uh, many of us neuro- neurologically diverse in one way or another. Um, it, that was, I, I first began my journey into kind of thinking about that uh, a little more, uh, several years ago when I, um, had a, a young man whose family I knew and a young man, uh, is autistic. Um, and so I began to, uh, uh his name is CJ. So I, I began to figure out how, how to communicate with CJ differently. Um, I, you know, I, I have sarcasm is one of my natural languages, um, but I can't use sarcasm with CJ, um, because, it just doesn't process. Um, so I, I needed to be more clear in my communication, um, with him. And then certainly we had some really fun conversations about faith, but CJ is very concrete in his thinking and faith topics are often not concrete. We're talking very, you know, complex and ethereal kinds of, conversations or language that i'm used to using all of a sudden i can't use anymore those metaphors just i had to shelve them mm-hmm. um so there was that was my first kind of experience um and and um i think it is safe to say when you've met a, a, an aut- a person with autism or an, aut- an autistic person however they prefer to delineate that you've met one autistic person um yeah, there's a lot of difference and diversity even within that. So, what works for one is it was what works for one. Um, so my experience with CJ was my experience with CJ. I've since met um, other friends who are uh, somewhere on the autism spectrum, um, and uh, different each time. Each person has a, has a different um, expression of that. Um, what I'm also noticing now is. Uh, a prevalence of, um, ADHD, uh, certainly amongst our Gen X, uh, friends and colleagues, (laughs) um, probably myself included. I, I think I'm undiagnosed, um, at this point. Um, so that's one of my new year's resolutions early, um, is to, to pursue and figure that out for myself over the next, um, 12 months or so. But um, we start talking about ADHD and how, um, uh, folks with ADHD or some form of that, uh, process information and, and access information differently. Our church services are not really well designed for that. Um, no. my son has ADHD. Um, and it, yeah, church is not a thing that he can do because, um because he doesn't process information in the same way um not a disability it's a different ability you know he he just processes information differently and so one of the things that i think we have the opportunity um as churches moving forward um is to consider how best do we meet the the needs and learning experiences and um, social experiences of a very diverse population um, and, and, and diverse in ways that we just that you can't see when you first look at someone right mm-hmm. because that's that's one of the thing with neurodiversity is you can't see someone's mind and with some some exceptions, you may not know. No, at least when you first see somebody, you may not know um, what their what their um, what their neuro- neurological frameworks are like. Um, you know, uh, people wouldn't know until they spent a lot of time with me. They probably won't know the things that are ADHD like that are in my life. Um, some that really help me focus and get work done in, Mm -hmm. in some creative ways. Um, others certainly hinder me from doing anything, uh, creative, uh, you know, these, those kinds of things, somebody on the autism uh, spectrum, you're not going to know that when you walk up to them, maybe, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know.
0: Well, it's interesting kind of you bring that. I mean, I uh, am on both um, because I was diagnosed with um, Asperger's, which is on the autism spectrum and ADHD, um, which makes it really interesting.
1: Um, (laughs) The world is unique. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because on the one hand, I try to do something short is um, hard. Uh, cause I can just talk about anything. Um, yep. b- but, um, you know, sometimes the whole about faith being concrete, um, that <gasps> yeah. is, is a challenge. I mean, I think you learn at least what I learned as I was getting growing up is that there are just some things that don't compute, don't always right. make sense. And that's kind of what faith is, is that you kind of have to trust that it's there. Um, but it's not something that comes easy. Um, right. You know, there is a, um, I think it's stereotypical. I don't know if it's really always that true, but um, a belief that people who are on the spectrum tend more to be atheists because it's harder for them to, and I think that there is, I can see that. I don't think it's impossible for someone on the spectrum to have faith. It's just that I think we access it very differently. I agree. Um, And it has to be accessed differently because we can't, you know, I can't see it in the same way that other people have seen it.
1: Yeah. And some of that is um, also maybe a, Um, a greater awareness or a a, a still changing morphing understanding of um, understanding of the breadth of our diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the hard way of saying we didn't use, we, we called autism other things when, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, it we called ADHD something different, or didn't we forced folks to fit into a mold differently years ago? We we're we're learning that maybe we need to adapt the way we teach, the way we you know do lots of things to uh to adjust. And and the same is true around issues of mental health. Um, mm-hmm. you know we we hear issues today that we would describe as a mental health issue when we read about them in the Bible, it's, you know, reported as demonic possession. Well, we would describe that as not demonic, not possession, but we would describe it as maybe a mental health issue. Um, A notable one would be, you know, we are legion. Maybe it was a DID. We don't know, but we would certainly think about things differently um, uh, in in today's world. We do the same thing about a lot of issues in that scientific realm because we've made some understandings, discoveries, uh, has has changed through the years. You know, the majority of the world no longer believes that the world is flat, nor is the earth the center of the universe, Mm -hmm. things that may have been held in the ancient world um so uh one of the things that i think where uh, you mentioned you know a lot of a lot of um folks who are on the autism spectrum are um or at least the the stereotype is that they tend to be atheist i think we're also just finding a greater um <laughs> greater experience maybe that that more people who are atheist are willing to say that they are um and at the same time we're finding out that more people um are some are are neurodiverse in, in some uh f- some fashion mm-hmm. uh, so you know i think both of those may be increasing i don't know that they're related they could be um but i i think we one of the things we are experiencing these days is um a uh, a change in the way we understand the world around us uh, uh, so you know the understanding of typical what is typical that that's kind of diminishing uh you know I'm 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 reticent to say what is <clears throat> typical or standard or you know centered in any kind of experience because I don't know that that really exists anymore I don't know that it ever existed, but our worldview has shifted so much that now that we, we understand that maybe it doesn't exist. Uh, you know, your experience of life is dramatically different than mine. We grew up with different, you know, different experiences growing up um, by living in different places, by being different people, by having different people in our lives. What does a typical experience look like i don't know i don't know that there Mm -hmm. is one um and so you know to to take a science metaphor we've moved from kind of this predictable newtonian understanding of the world towards a much less predictable quantum understanding of the way things are happening Things aren't as cut and dry, nice and neat as we once thought they were. Mm-hmm. I'm for I, for one, am okay with that. Um, frank, frankly, I like it. Um, I think it adds some beautiful diversity to our understanding of the world. At the same time, it is challenging to um, find words and images and ways of understanding that transcend my experience because your experience is different. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the same time, I think uh, one of the things that, that um, I'm noticing um, is that the importance of, of narrative and story is still growing um, and uh, that understanding in the church as as we continue to understand the importance of narrative um, and narratives that uh, over uh, or that transcend you know overarching narratives that transcend the stories of our lives um, as we begin to talk about that a little bit more and understand that a little bit better uh, in churches um, I, that's where, I have a real hope um, and that's where I, I think the most hopeful of our futures um, kind of lie in, in understanding and appreciating the, the diversity of our world mm-hmm. um, and that that is best expressed. I think at least right now, uh, best expressed through the idea of story um, and relationship and conversation.
0: Do you think that that's something that we haven't been good at in the past that, you know, story was not something that was good? And now all of a sudden we're or, or it wasn't really I shouldn't say wasn't good. It, was, it wasn't really thought of. And now that we're having to try to figure that out.
1: It, it, yes. And I think it's a it's a um, we're retracing our steps um, because obviously there was a time uh, and I'll go back to biblical, uh, you know, ancient world stories was all we had. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what I think happened, um, is post Renaissance, um, certainly as we entered into the modern era, we had the industrial revolution and we had this, this technological revolution that has since, um, superimposed itself on top of the industrial revolution. I think, we began to think about humanity as those machines of industry mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it, that we were somehow, you know, that we could be patterned or, and, and reproduced. And quite frankly, that's our, you know, public public education system um, is an industrial model. If you think about it, we're going to pour mm-hmm. this, these pieces of information into you. If you know, these pieces of information, if you have these add-ons, to your um you know we, we we installed we install algebra and we install you know english and we install history modules uh and and then you'll be able to function well in society you'll be able to carry out the work um i i don't love that model i mean i understand it and it may be the best model we have for education um because everything else is super complex um but it's not really reality, uh, because Mm -hmm. humans are not machines. Um, and we are way too unique. Uh, we are more like individual craft pieces, um, than we are, uh, products of an assembly line. So, um, that goes in hand in hand, I think with, we lost some of the beauty, um, for efficiency and now we're trying to regain that beauty while still maintaining some of the efficiency. And and that's an interesting, I think we live in an interesting time. Uh, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, I don't know how it turns out in my own life.
0: So is that, do you think that that's an issue, especially with mainline Protestant churches that the, yeah. especially of the maybe from the mid-century of the 20th century was very much that kind of industrial model that I think just so. know kind of, and that we're trying to now have to, it's not working anymore.
1: No, it's not. I don't know that it ever did. It certainly looked like it did. Um, it's, a, it's a combination. It's an industrial model. Um, and then we have layered on top of that, maybe in, um, the late 20th century, um, so the 1970s, 80s, 90s, I think we see layered on top of the industrial model, a corporate model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that either model is great for the church, um, but we still have them. Uh, I can't count the number of churches that I've been at. Um, you may have had a similar experience where. Um, at least ten years ago, the constitution and bylaws looked pretty much like they did in the 1970s. As a matter of fact, they may have been the 1970 version of the constitution and bylaws, um, and hadn't been adapted much by you know 2010. Um, and you know that's that's not good because no, it's not. Uh, because we're not in the same world. Uh, we, the the water in the river has has flowed past us. Uh, we're not in the same world anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think it is particularly, um, has been particularly impactful for mainline Protestants, like you said, certainly those of um, churches um, that were kind of born uh, of that modern or modern era, that modernist ideal uh, disciples, uh, maybe particularly, uh, partially just because that's what I know best, but um, you know, we were a, a quote unquote frontier church mm-hmm. with all the challenges that come with that word and idea. Um, but we're, we're very, uh, very much born out of this idea of, modern, modernity of industrialization. Um, that's really when we were getting our, uh, you know, the foundation of our church goes back to that. And, um, there are others that, that handle that better, maybe differently. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It, I think there's a, a sense in which maybe the evangelical church faces some of those same challenges.
0: Well, I was going to kind of say that, and I don't want to, cause I think it's always easy to kind of dump on them.
1: <laughs> um, yeah you're right
0: um but but there there is some of that too it's just that it's just different it's not the same that you would find in a mainline church but there is a kind of a corporatist kind of model especially kind of yeah. in worship and all that that i think i don't know if it's working as much anymore um, right in their field i mean it's i think that both traditions are kind of having to Realize that this is more of a craft than it is a, right, you know, kind of a factory. And that's, yeah. that's it's a different and, mindset.
1: And I'm just thinking about this as so this is a completely unprocessed thought. Uh, so I could be entirely wrong. Um, but if my memory of church history serves, the evangelical church, kind of as a movement as a whole Mm -hmm. really happened a little bit later than what we classically define as like a mainline Protestant church, um, that that was a later development. And so I think you said something interesting there that kind of got me. Now I'm thinking about something that'll have to do a little bit of more pondering on. Um, But the evangelical, more evangelical expressions of Christianity tend more you're right towards that corporate model Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe even, uh, and I hadn't even thought about this until now, but almost an entertainment model.
0: Yeah, exactly. uh,
1: That, that maybe I haven't considered. uh, But if we think back towards like the eh, eighties and nineties, again, entertainment changed and really supplanted in some ways, corporation. Mm hmm. Um, that we really shifted toward with the advent of cable television, um, and now streaming and, and internet has, has made some changes to that as well. That's an interesting, um, I have to, I'm going to have to give that one some, some, some consideration and thought. Um, cause most of my, um, thought about church leadership and organization has We've, we've talked about the industrial, we've talked about corporate, but I haven't talked about the model of entertainment.
0: Huh. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think there is something to that whole kind of model of, and, and which I also think is maybe why it was in some evangelical churches a lot easier to pivot. Um, yes. Because a lot of this was entertainment um, or based on an entertainment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't say that saying that the message, what they they weren't taking that seriously, but it was, that was the model, but I don't know if that's working. Yeah. I wonder if it's still working.
1: Um, Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I would say that at least for me, that never worked great. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was involved when I was a teenager. So in the eighties, uh, I was involved in a non-denominational church. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of formative stuff happened through that congregation, but it was a, it was a cross between and has become more so entertainment, but it was a cross between corporation and entertainment models. Um, and, but like, I think like you, I, I want to be very careful as I say that because entertainment could be seen as a judgment on and I don't want to make it a judgment about faithfulness nope. uh, about, uh, about any of those things. Nope. It's, it's yeah. not, I think it's just a frame. I I'm talking about entertainment only as a framework mm-hmm. for the way in which we engage the community. The point to, the point of church in those churches like that has always been to help people, understand and begin to develop a relationship with God Mm -hmm. has been that. Um, Does it work for everyone? That's a question uh, that can be answered. Is it the best model? Again, a question that can be asked and answered differently. Um, Is it a faithful model? Again, (laughs) we got all sorts of questions. Does it breed folks who might be in it more for notoriety than for actually growing the kingdom of God maybe. Um, but I, I don't want to make that, I certainly don't want to make that overarching judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we could talk about specific situations all day long. And, um, even there, I'd, I'd be hesitant to try to pass judgment. I still want, would want to assess and evaluate, uh, from my perspective, how well did that work? Okay. um, and, you know, there are, there are certainly pros and cons, <laughs> uh, benefits and detriments to any, uh, format, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, we, everything that we, we develop that we call church, um, the religions and the institutions that we build, um, they are human seeking after the divine. And so therefore fraught with challenges. Um, we don't do anything perfectly.
0: Nope. No, we don't.
1: And that's okay. Sometimes those imperfections are quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got a uh I made made for us during COVID, I kind of re entered my woodworking phase of life. Uh I made a, a coffee table. Mm-hmm. And it isn't perfect. Um, and it's become less perfect over time. Um, but there's there's some beauty there. Um, and I, you know, uh, I still remember the process, um, mm-hmm. which was the most important for me and it wouldn't come as, as any surprise to anyone who knows me at all that I tend to be a process, theologian as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what resonates for me. Um, it always has, um, once I really have given it some thought. Um, and so for me, it is about journey and change and growth and, um, and oh, that word transformation, um, you. you know, growth, development, discernment, transformation. Those are all key kinds of things in, in the world, at least the way I envision it. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be, I, I again, I want to say, I don't, I don't want that to be a judgment, uh, on evangelical Christianity. No. Um, because without it, I wouldn't be who I am today.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's kind of why I'm a bit hesitant because I'm, I'm the same way I grew up, came from an evangelical background. And while I may not agree with some things theologically, I don't diss it because without it, I wouldn't be
1: who I was. Right. Right. And we can have those. I think we can, I hope we can have those debates and conversations (laughs) and, and dialogues. Um, because I think if we have them and we have them, well, we all grow and we learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are, that's what's really, really, um, exciting to me. Um, it's why, uh, you know, I've been blessed to be able to maintain, uh, relationships with folks from a wide spectrum of faith, Christian and otherwise, mm-hmm. um, because those, relationships and those conversations have really helped me understand what it is I believe mm-hmm. and and how I want to live out, live that belief out in my life. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I may come to different decisions the, their decisions may not be mine. Uh, it may not be where I would choose to worship or would feel comfortable or fed in worship. That doesn't mean it's not important for somebody, mm-hmm. um, and and I really do have faith that a majority of majority of leaders, regardless of what kind of religious mm-hmm. body you're a part of, the majority are really in it for the right reasons. You know, they mm-hmm. really are hoping to um, create or um, um, co-create or recreate. Uh, a a community of faith that draws people closer to one another and closer to the divine, however they, you know, imagine and explain those, those concepts.
0: So wrapping this up, I want to ask this question is since you are a minister that deals with transformation, where do you see churches five years down the line, especially mainline churches, churches in your region um, and where do you think culture is heading that the the churches kind of have to adapt to?
1: I think we are going to see um, churches continue to adapt and evolve, maybe almost retracing our steps in some ways. Um, I see us being a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. continually. Um, that's not a bad thing. Um, I, I think there needs to be an intentional emphasis on building community and relationships. And one way to do that I, uh, has worked in the past and I think will continue to work in the future is very intentional small group models. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a larger congregation needs to be really intentional about being small groups focused Smaller congregations are already small groups. Um, Mm -hmm. We just need to be intentional about it. Uh, Again, intent and and thinking carefully about what we're doing. Um, I think online is not going away. Uh, Hybrid is not going away. So find a way to embrace it. Find a way that works for you and the congregation you're a part of um, to build and maintain those relationships. Um, I, I think that is going to be the emphasis and and probably should have been our emphasis all along has been in some places to greater and lesser extents but an emphasis on relationship on building those true communities that really do support one another um, as we uh, journey through this life Uh, and I think it's also going to be important, um, for us to address those issues of diversity. Um, we're, we're going to have to find ways, uh, to, to better minister to a broader spectrum of folks. Um, so how, how do we address neurodiversity, uh, in our forms of worship in our life together? How do we make that work for more people? Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think that that is often done, like I said, better in a smaller, smaller group. It's difficult to do that in large group settings. Um, It's difficult, not impossible, but difficult. We need to be, uh, you know, different learning styles that we've, we've talked about through the years, those kinds of things. Got to take those all into, into account. Um, So churches will be smaller. We need to be nimble. um, And, and, uh, uh, just know that the world's going to keep changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to keep changing. And I think one of the particular challenges for us as disciples, maybe uh, a good number of mainline uh, denominations, is we got to figure out the ways in which we take uh, an important position on some of the very pressing issues of our day, climate change, um, reproductive rights, racism, patriarchy. These are all issues that, that often we just have not talked about, at least didn't talk about when I was growing up. Um, and they are issues of faith. Um, and, and we need to be able to have some really constructive dialogues and, you know it's time for the church to take leadership again uh, and be on the cutting edge in some of these areas uh, we uh, mainline churches we've been silent for way too long um because we've been afraid that if we take this stand or that stand we might alienate somebody might push somebody away and yeah that's a real that's a reality and i get it um and i know that's difficult I fell into that same thing as a congregational pastor. Um, I kind of still fall into that same trap as regional, uh, middle judicatory ministry because you know I'm trying to trying to keep people happy because quite frankly I do like to be able to eat and have a nice nice house and a roof over my head and warmth in the winter and cool in the summer. I like all those things and that's re- <laughs> it requires keeping people happy and and funding the ministry. Um, but at the same time, I think um, we we have to have to identify what our important issues are and cultivate ways to have helpful and life-giving conversations around that so that we can really be transformative of our world and society. Um, maybe it's my evangelical upbringing, but sometimes uh, I notice that churches play too heavily on the "not of this world idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not, but we're in it right now. And I think part of our call as people of faith is to make a positive impact in the world. Um, so I really want to hold up that, that, yeah, let's take a stand, uh, and stand up for what is right. Um, and many people are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but we live in a time where that is difficult. Um, and, uh, I don't think it makes it any less important.
0: Okay. We'll, we'll leave it there.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so
0: much for this conversation. It's been great. Thank you,
1: Dennis. It's been great. I, I kind of wish we were a little bit closer we talk more often, but.
0: I do too. We've
1: got zoom. We should do this more often.
0: Well, we will try, definitely. (laughs) All right, my friend. All right, take care. Hope that you enjoyed uh, the, the uh, time with Alex um, and I hope that it was helpful for your ministry. So a note about the podcast. Um, for the last year or so, I, my podcast host has been Sounder, um, which I've, has been a very good podcast host, and they have decided they're not, they're still doing something podcast audio related But what they won't be doing is podcast hosting. Um, That will be actually ending up, ending very soon. Um, So I have moved the podcast over to Substack. So if you've already subscribed to the podcast, you don't have to do anything. Just keep listening as you always do. Um, That said... Uh, since we are, on, it would be on, on Substack, and Substack does allow for writing and all that. I'm going to be putting more content on the site, written content on the site, um, and I'm thinking at some point—I don't know when uh, that's you know some of those articles, and maybe um, I also do videos of these interviews. That before it goes up on YouTube, I may put them um, kind of behind a paywall, um, for people to watch before they, they go public. So that won't happen right away. Um, I really want to build up the the content and, um, really the readership and listenership on the site first, but you can check things out, um, by going to church and main at dot substack.com. Um, and I think I'm also going to be moving the church and Main. um, I've been using podcast page for the public website, um, but since this is going to be on Substack, it probably makes more sense to not have that anymore so that um, the churchinmain.org will will probably at some point be pointing to the Substack page. Um, So uh, just that you be aware of all of that. So that is it for this episode of Church in Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, uh, your host. As I always say, thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot. Uh, please share this episode with someone that you know. Take care. Godspeed. And I will see you very soon.